This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to a special, special edition uh, front office features. We're going to change it up a little bit this week with more of a roundtable type discussion with two of my former colleagues, employees, now friends of 10 years, which is crazy to say. Uh, Adam Banco, uh, who will touch on some of his achievements in this industry and your longstanding work that you've gone through, who's now at the 3M Open in Minnesota. And Lyle Hoffman, uh, now with Mavich Branding, and and we'll be interested to hear your perspective of gone through sports and now on the periphery working in sports. But guys, welcome to Front Office Features. Happy to be here. This is uh, a long time coming, and I think both Adam and I are are pretty pumped to be here. Ten years, Val. I mean, I was just thinking, like, what about, we just mentioned yesterday a text message about a big goal that was scored eight years ago yesterday, right? Eight years ago, uh, Adam Henrique put away my misery of 12-year-old Chris when I was watching the Devils Rangers and Stefan Matteau scored the game-winning goal in 1994 when I was with all of my friends were Ranger fans. I was like literally the only Devils fan growing up. And uh, being at that game and seeing the Devils overcome those ghosts was probably a top three sports moment of my life uh, in terms of being in this business. So yes, that was eight years ago yesterday to the day, which is mind-boggling to say but here we are 10 years later uh we're both still we're all three of us are kicking which is half the battle right (laughs) and uh, we're not on the front porch with the dog which we can get to in a little bit but um guys so you both came to albany uh at very different points in your careers adam you would have done a little bit more in terms of the experience side lyle you were with the orioles right before joining us i'll start with you adam give people a sense for, for you, what it meant to, for the role that you fulfilled as, as a group sales executive and also a group sales manager while in Albany and kind of what your day-to-day was like so people understand getting into this business, which a lot of those opportunities are the ones that are in front of them. What were you doing and how were you successful that helped you lead down your career path? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, going back to right before I came to Albany, I was in Kansas City and I had two offers on the table to go to. Uh, the Cincinnati Cyclones are the Albany Devils, and at the time, uh, Albany was coming in as quote-unquote a new team, uh, replacing a former team and kind of coming back in the Devils organization, so I thought that was something I could jump on really easily, and it was, uh, you know, a good opportunity for me to, you know, start new with a new company as a startup, and basically I've kind of followed that path my whole career. Um, working with them, it, it, it's crazy. I think we can all agree, right, Chris and Lyle, that it's not like any other organization at that time with the Devils. It was different. Um, we didn't have the leeway that some of these other teams had for, you know, personalized jerseys, stuff like that. Um, we were a very traditional hockey team and focused a lot on hockey ops. So uh, I think my biggest problem or my biggest uh, thing I had to overcome there was just, you know, realizing that you guys, you and Rob talk about this all the time on the podcast is like, not everybody's a hockey fan like I am. Right. So like I grew up playing hockey and it took a couple months for it to click in that, hey, I have to create events around events to make this work, especially in that market. Um, it's not the greatest hockey market, I'd say. So, you know, creating. Scouting- That's an understatement. That's an understatement, my friend. <laughs> it's such a weird spot where it's located because all around it is hockey heaven. And then you have Albany, which is kind of in the middle there that, you know, that it's not as big as other places. So coming up with events around events, whether it be scouts or yoga or whatever it is, different stuff that get people to come out to the actual games. And then I think in the last podcast, you and Rob mentioned, like nobody knows what the score of the game is. It's just about making people come out and have fun. And uh, it's cheaper than going to a movie. And 
the experience and the memories you're going to create with your family are way more impactful. So I think that was kind of when I realized where I wanted to go um, and to create those events. Cause I think, you know, even today when we look at a group sales account executive on a website, it really should be more of an event salesperson, uh, you know, cause you're coming up with, especially in the minor leagues, you're coming up with crazy different ideas, but um, you know, then I want to move more into leadership. And I kind of did that with the, with the devils as well. Uh, kind of took Lyle under my wing, you know, and helped him out. And I guess the rest is history from there. We'll come back to you. You mentioned about going to like the rebranding and the startups. You, you definitely followed that path in your career, which we'll come back to and touch on. But Lyle, what about you? Like joining the devil's organization, uh, you obviously grew up a Devils fan, right? Yeah. So you're some of your heroes and every, everything and all your, your childhood memories revolved around the Devils. What was it like to then go to work and say you were a New Jersey Devils employee? Uh, it was for someone that was just coming out of college. Uh, like I mentioned, I interned while in college with the Baltimore Orioles. I went to Towson University. Shout out my Tigers. Um, That's where my but, brother went. Yeah. So um, to be able to just come straight out of college and then work for really, you know, the team I grew up with. And, you know, one thing that you always said was, you know, Marty Brodeur is your coworker or Zach Parisi is your coworker. And to have those things ring true was just one of the like most humbling, um, surreal, I think moments. I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is what working in sports is all about. Like, I'm talking, I'm just talking about just getting the job offer at this point. <laughs> um, and, Which was uh, for so much money. You couldn't believe your eyes, right? I, I could not believe my eyes. I, I don't think $20,000 ever seemed so big in my life, but um, you know, I, it, it, I think I said this on my interview and just listening back to a lot of your, you know, podcast with Rob at, I, I messed up that interview because I think I had said at one point that I was such a big Devils fan and I always saw myself being a New Jersey Devil and as a kid, but you know, on the ice and not in the front office, but it was just going to be such an honor. I knew I'd work my tail off um, to do the, to do the organization such pride. So um, it was awesome. And then, you know, just going back to what we kind of alluded to at the beginning here, that run we had with, you know, going to the finals, my first year with the organization, um, it was it was surreal. <laughs> I mean, that's just the the only way to put it. Getting to go down to those games and um, going to playoff games with with the whole with all of our team and um, just really feeling a part of the organization was, was just I just can't keep saying the word, but surreal and awesome. So so Adam, you kind of t- touched on it too, like working for the Devils and Lou and and Chris and Chris and then another, myself and Chris. Uh, we were full of Chris's. We were we were definitely challenged with having to to be creative because to your point we weren't a typical minor league team where we were doing the crazy type of promotions that everyone else would do or have full access to players and that a lot of teams are are, are typically accustomed to. So like, how did that help you? I mean, when you left and you went into different situations and went to Utica and Tucson, how did being forced almost to be overly creative to work around our roadblocks help you down the road? Yeah, I think it's, I always tell, I remember when I even discussed with Lyle, when Lyle left and went to Dallas, I said, it's kind of like, I feel like we graduated with a degree from like an Ivy League sports school working <laughs> for the Devils because, you know, we didn't have the opportunities that these other teams had to generate revenue. So we really had to dig deep as a staff and come up with crazy ideas. And I think down the road, that helped me a lot, um, especially on the management side, right? Like we, we look back and I say, you know, when I when I manage some people in Utica, more more likely when I manage in Tucson is, you know, let's play to your strengths and figure out like what works best for you. It doesn't always have to be what every other AHL team's doing. Let's look at you as a person and like let's. That's why, you know, I agree full heartedly when you look at someone's LinkedIn or whatever it is, when you see other experiences or other stuff they're doing, life experiences. That's the kind of stuff that's going to drive ticket sales if they're passionate about it. That's important. And that's what's going to help, especially, you know, going out to Tucson, we're selling tickets to people who have never been to a hockey game. There's one ice rink in Tucson and it's where the, the roadrunners play. So if you're able to connect with a part of the community that has, you know, a, a passion about yoga or a passion about, you know, mariachi bands down in Tucson, then we're able to connect with that area and uh, really bring them out and experience something they never get to see before. But at the same time, like we're again, working around, the whole hockey thing and making it more about, you know, come out and see your child perform or come out and, you know, do something unique that you've never done before. What about you, Lyle? I mean, you went from, you went from the AHL with the devils to then the NHL 
in the stars and then decided to go back to the AHL, almost kind of like my, some, similar to my career path. What, what was it like going from the AHL to the NHL? Like how did that experience in the minors help you succeed with the stars uh, at the NHL level? Yeah. Um, it was the, my first, I'll be honest, my, my first, I'd say two or three months there um, were pretty rough uh, because I was going in with a lot of probably more seasoned B2B sellers where, you know, in the minors, you're, you're kind of what Adam was just saying. We're, we're being creative, right? We're talking to Girl Scout troops. We're talking to, um, you know, military, you know, we're selling military donations. We were selling to schools and, you know, at the NHL level, group sales is, is only a small sliver of the pie. Um, whereas season ticket sales are really the, the bread and butter of things. So it was, I was trying to figure out, you know, how I was going to be successful and, and what route I was going to take. Whereas since the NHL wasn't going, you know, to the lengths that we were going at the AHL level by talking to schools and, um, youth team, stuff like that, and creating these, these group experiences, that was an opportunity that I saw for myself to, you know, stand out and say, Hey, I can take on a lot of this group stuff that as small of a pie, it could be, it's, it's my piece. Um, and it just, you know, I think I brought a lot of crazy ideas to the table when I first got there, you know, um, our sales leadership in Dallas was filled with a lot of people that never worked in the minors. So they didn't understand, um, and it's no, no fault of their own. Um, you know, a lot of the grind that it took in the minors or um, some of the crazy ideas that we had. So, you know, when I'd come up with a pitch about doing a scout sleepover or something like that at the American Airlines Center, it was, you know, it was was held with a lot of reservations. But um, I think, you know, we got... Because they worried about people like getting it on in the background if everyone was like, that was the craziest story (laughs) I've ever heard. Rob, that happened when I was there. Rob is the most interesting man without be, without trying. He just has got these ma- massive amounts of stories that make your jaw drop in the middle. Like, I don't know these, and people ask me all the time, "Do you know what he's about to say beforehand?" I'm like, I really don't. Like, he, he throws <laughs> these things at me in the middle of our conversation. I'm like, what? How am I supposed to respond to this, man? Like, what are you doing to me? That so, was a yeah, wild, wild story. I think the three of us have crazy minor league stories, but I think like Rob almost take it to like a different level. Like, he's in the deep end of stories. We're just hanging out in the kiddie pool. Beyond. I mean, we, we could go on about someone else in our in our lives that would probably put those, some of those to shame, but we probably can't talk about all of them. But um, yeah, sorry, Lyle, go on. Scout no, sleepovers at, Amer- at, at the American Airlines Center. Yeah, no, but um, going back to what Adam said, like we, we graduated from a very, I'd say, big, you know, uh, we graduated with honors from a, an Ivy League school when it came to sports sales and kind of making our way in this industry. Um, I think a lot of it stemmed from um, our president who we worked for. Um, you know, we can have stories about him for, for days on end. We could probably write a book on him. But at the end of the day, I think he instilled kind of like a regimen and a work ethic in me that I think carried me throughout my career um, that I think a lot of people that may work in the AHL don't have that opportunity to do. Um, you know, we were able to get creative and do some things that, you know, sucked, honestly. And, and, and we had to work our asses off for things that were easy for other people. But, you know, when, once we're handed, you know, we didn't have a CRM in Albany, right? We, we had Excel spreadsheets that we're working off of. So now when I go into an organization that has sales tools in place and, you know, my job is a lot easier at that point because, you know, I, I know what it's like to just be having to go through an Excel spreadsheet and update it every day as to how many times I called somebody and hope that's right. Um, so right. little things like that, um, I think help prepare me, um, at the NHL level. And then, you know, going back to the AHL, it was able to, you know, take my experiences at the minor leagues, you know, bring together the experiences that I had at the, at the major league level, and then just kind of see, be able to see both sides um, and just understand like there are certain things that we're doing at the NHL level that can only be done at the NHL level. There are certain things that can that are done at the AHL level that can only be done at the AHL level, and they're 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 both ways. So um, I don't know if that directly answers the question that you're looking for, but um, no, not at all. That was completely off the top. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of get kinda... lost in my own thoughts sometimes. That's okay. We'll we'll get lost with you. Uh, so you kind of alluded to it 
with our, our former president uh, and some of the challenges that that was brought on by, right? Because there was, he was definitely from a different generation that we all were. We were all, much, all of us, I think were in our twenties. I don't think anyone was in our thirties at that point. And he, he brought a different type of like style and, and management approach that we, none of us had probably ever been accustomed to. And he challenged us, right? In different ways that would make you at the time be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> But years later, you look back and go, wow, I, I probably did need that. And I and it probably helped. And so many aside from some of the other crazy shit that sometimes came up, um, there was a lot of good. There was a lot of positive. And I think for younger folks in the moment, sometimes when you you get stuck on like, oh, my boss is riding me or he's driving me. It's not always because they're trying to just be like a jackass. They're, they're trying to make you better. Right. And like yeah. there's you, you almost appreciate him more now that we don't have him in certain situations, uh, but not all, but, uh, you yeah, know, it, it was, it was a learning experience. I think that all of us went through in a numerous amount of ways. And we all kind of grew up in this environment that we had to, because we've talked about a lot on this podcast. We're with each other so much. We were hanging out. Like, it didn't matter. Like you guys reported to me. I mean, we were each other's family at the times were like holidays or get togethers or like this Memorial day weekend, we would have been together up in like, we're going to Saratoga. So the minor leagues for me, I still to this day credit to everything where I'm at because of the experiences and and being forced to be overly creative to work around the roadblocks that were in our path. And we were successful based on all those things because every year the league would come to us and say, hey, how did you do that? And to your point, someone else in another market who had a much better market would take our same idea and get better results just because they had better fans. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I think that the... Um, and this is a, a word that our president loved, but the the ownership that we were able to take into, you know, being like we were the team, we were the Albany Devils, right? You know, a lot of these NHL pro teams have 200, 300 employees that work there. There was 12 of us. And, you know, we took great ownership, whether it was picking up trash on the concourse or, you know, seeing if the music levels were too high during a game presentation, Um you know, we, we took great ownership in, in knowing that this was our, our baby. And, you know, that I think helped me further down in my career where um, it's almost like that give a shit factor, you know, does that person actually give a shit about where they are or, or who they're like the team they're a part of. Um, so that's definitely one thing that I, I took from, you know, our, our time in Albany together was just, just owning everything that we had in front of us. I think ownership is huge, right? Like that's, how I based my rest of my career off of is when he was telling us to take ownership. I mean, one of my favorite sayings from our old boss, and I used it all the time when I was managing and directing is you can win one without me, but don't lose one without me. Right. Like it, it, I use it all the time too. I use it all the time. And it's true, right? Like I, when I, when I'm managing or directing, like I want to give my employees the best opportunity to win on their own and let them own a project because I don't think there's anything better. I think that's the whole point of working in sports is right you can build a project and build an event. And when you finally see it go and you see it work like that feels great. And that's why you work in sports. And I always think ownership is huge. Like I'll say, Hey, we're doing a boy scout sleepover. Right. But you own it. Like, tell me how you want to put it together and we'll go from there. And if you get stuck, call me, but like, I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel like you have to lean on me as a crutch. And I think that's important for young people in sports now is like, make sure you can, you know, take the bull by the horns and kind of run with it. That's a great point. I mean, in terms of ownership, you see that that falls off in people's early parts of their careers, right? Because they don't understand that in terms of what that truly means. And it comes sometimes with timidness, right? Being able to say, like, I'm going to do what I make a decision because you're afraid that the decision is going to be wrong and then you're going to get screwed up. But working in an environment where you're empowered to make those decisions and learn from your mistakes is the positive environment to be in. Because if you're just going to be there and be a yes person and do exactly what you're told to do, like you're not growing as an individual. So what the hell's the point? Like there was definitely instances where we were afraid to make the wrong decision. And in certain cases <laughs> that you would see the wrath and we would call it a hurricane that would show up every once in a while, but it did make us better to be able to at least have the opportunity to make that mistake. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, right. Like you were able to come in, and you knew you had to be fully prepared if you were going to present and you were going to take ownership, right? And, and I think that's another thing young people can take away is you got to be ready to present and own your own whatever project you're doing, but come in fully prepared because at one time, especially with our old bosses, like 
if you don't come in fully prepared, he's going to rip you apart. And it, but then you learn from it and you move on to the next time and you're ready the more you're more prepared for the next challenge ahead, I guess. Right. It's accountability. So, yeah. so Banco, in terms of your next step, so you went from Albany, which was a challenged market from obviously what we just talk, talked about from a fan base perspective to Utica, which was a team that was there in the AHL years ago, uh, ironically, the Devils, <laughs> but just made a comeback into the into the uh, the league. And the amount of demand for tickets and the size of your your arena was smaller than typical arenas. So you went from being on one side of the spectrum to the other side of the spectrum, and then also into a management role. So how did you manage, manage was the wrong word, navigate going from the opposite end of the spectrum that you were faced with to now dealing with a completely different new scenario in Utica? Yeah, I think we can go back. And I, I can remember the exact day we were driving back. I think all of us were there. Maybe I know Valente was there. I don't know about Lyle, but we were driving back from Atlantic city or to Atlantic city for a game. Well, that's a longer story for a different time. <laughs> but um, We saw the news that Utica was getting a team and we all kind of looked at each other and like, we we're all working in Albany for the last three years. We're like, good luck. Right. Like <laughs> we were yep. trying to make this work here in Albany as best as possible. And now the team, what 70 miles away is getting a team between us and Syracuse. It's like, good luck. You know, Syracuse is great. And you know, Glens Falls was here too. Yeah, and Glens Falls. So, like, they, you know, all these New York teams were somewhat struggling, too, in Binghamton. And to see Utica getting a team, it's like, good luck. Well, you know, my time with the Albany came to an end. I wanted to do a leader. I wanted to move into more of a leadership role. I got in touch with the ownership group there. Um, I think the big difference, and I, I think every – I think what a lot of people should learn in sports is, like, every team has its own – sort of problems or issues that they have to face when it comes to ticket sales. Yes. In Albany, we had to kill it and try and get as many people as we could in the door. We couldn't even, sometimes we couldn't even give away free tickets and you get to Utica and you know, the first year we have a good season and the second year really is just, it, it's a compliment to the talent on the team, but we, it was a perfect storm. We had an all-star game and we had, we went to the Calder cup finals, two things that I don't think Valente, you were in minor league sports for a long time. I've ever done either of them. Right. And I, it's like I, I went to the playoffs w- once or twice in seven or eight years. That's right. right. You made up for it in later years. Yeah, I did. It all came around later <laughs> on. <laughs> but I was able to, like, you know, take ideas that we had in, in Albany, whether it be renewal things or whatever it is, for a sense of urgency to purchase. And we were really able to grow that season ticket base in Utica from year two to three based off our all star game appearance, based off the Calder Cup. You're not saying that it was as popular, but more along the lines of, hey, if you want Calder Cup playoff tickets, you have to buy season tickets to next year. You know, that's stuff you can learn throughout your career that it's a different way of looking at it um, on the sales side and cor- more towards like what a fan would feel. But it's a way to pressure people into buying tickets. And then going into Utica, like you said, small attendance, small building. I think at the time I was there, it was 3,600 people. Um, but starting in that second season or third season, we started a sellout streak. And that, that almost becomes its own priority on its own, right? Like you want to be able to build a sellout streak. But you're also catering to, I think at the time we had close to 2,800 season ticket holders in a 3,500 person building. So it's a different challenge than Albany. It's a challenge about, you know, how am I going to retain these season ticket holders? How am I going to keep these season ticket holders happy? You know, you go from year two where you're winning a stand, you're winning, you're going to a Calder Cup final. You know what the, what's going to happen in year three? You know, how's our no show rate going to look? So it's different challenges for different teams. So I think that's something to always look into before, you know, taking a job. Yeah, you could look at a team and say they're sold out every night. But there's other challenges about wanting, you know, hit a renewal rate of 90% or whatever it is um, that's different for every team. But that's a crazy hockey town. It's it, it's insane. I've never seen anything like it. And I probably never will see anything like it for a small town of, you know, 60, 70,000 people to be crazy for their hockey. Not even just the Comets, but, you know, they have Utica College who's, the largest D3 attendance team in the country. They, they draw more than some D1 teams. So it's one of those life experiences you just never want to change either. So the both of you ended up going into managerial roles uh, pretty early in your careers, right? So you were both in your, yeah. in your mid-20s uh, and going transitioning from that. I mean, here's the funny part is everyone that's typically in the business or in sales is like, I want to be a manager. I want to be a manager. I want to be a manager, right? They're like, they're hunkering down. They want, they want that promotion to become a manager. And you don't really know what it is until you get it. You, you don't understand what's the full 
scope of being a manager and you don't really understand all the nuance that comes along with it until you actually you do it. And in full transparency, I know, remember when you both became managers, we would talk regularly about the challenges you'd face. And like, like I said, until you get into it, you had no idea half the shit that goes on with people's lives or becoming almost a psychologist for folks. So one of you can go first, but like, let's start like what, what was the biggest misconception you had going into it? And what did you learn in your first year of like, wow, this is not what I thought, or this is what I, what, what I could do better. And how did you end up managing all that? And again, for lack of a better term throughout that year of transitioning to becoming a manager. Yeah. I think I'll start. That's cool. Lyle, but yeah, go for it. I think the biggest thing you figure out when you're a manager is, and it goes kind of back to just like reality, like not everybody's like you. Right. So like you're a manager for a reason, right? Cause you wanted to take a leadership role. You outperformed other people, maybe on the sales side, but maybe it's a leadership thing as well. And it's kind of figuring out like the first year, I think, especially with your staff and figuring out what drives each person and what makes each person pick. Right. Like for me specifically, like I got into sales and I have a job because I love money. Um, in today's world, I don't think that's the same. I think different individuals are in, are they're, they have more stuff that they're interested in. You know, it's not always going to be their drive and force is going to be money. Unfortunately, you know, it could be, you know, days off. It could be, you know, gift cards. It could, it could be something that's more personal to them. And it's kind of figuring out like who each person is and really what's going to, you know, make them perform at their highest level. Um, and also figuring out, I think the other thing for me was figuring out, you know, strengths and weaknesses of each employee, right? Like not every employee is going to be great on the phone. You know, so not every employee should be making 100 calls a day. Maybe you have somebody on your staff that's really good at email or really good at face-to-face. You know, in Tucson, I had this person who worked for me who was very, very social. She was able to go to bars, restaurants, and sign deals for season tickets. And, you know, I didn't hold her. I think holding everybody the same standard is difficult to do in this day. Like, it, just with the amount of technology and everything there is, you can't be expecting someone to make 100 calls a day everybody to make hundred calls a day when they might, you know, benefit better from being out in the social atmosphere or via email or via LinkedIn. So I think it's learning about each employee and kind of figuring out like what's going to drive them was my biggest thing in year one of being a manager. Yeah. Adam, you just hit it on the head for me as well. Like, you know, to this day, um, my closest friends aren't my friends from high school or college. It's, people that I was in the trenches with selling, whether it be in Albany or in Dallas. Um, And, you know, going in to a manager role, you're, you know, you kind of have to put that to the side and understand that, um, you know, people below you that are a completely different mindset. Um, You know, some may be like you, but some may not be like you. And um, it's trying to figure out what makes them tick and what's going to motivate them. And that that's really tough. Um, Especially, in my situation, I inherited a staff too. So I didn't really know um, a lot of, you know, my reps when I first walked in the door, it was, you know, it takes time to, to really get to know someone and, you know, on a personal level and see what their goals and, and what they want to accomplish is and what's going to really help them uh, succeed, which is going to obviously help us succeed. But I think other than that, the biggest challenge that I had, and I was not expecting this part of you know, the world to, to hit me, but it was just navigating the politics um, and upper management, um, you know, knowing, you know, kind of whose belly to rub um, and, you know, where, where you shouldn't sniff around. And, and, you know, that was a, that was tough for me. Um, and just, cause I was, that wasn't something that anybody tells you about, right. Nobody tells you that, you know, you need to make good with this person or that person and don't bother that person. Um so that, that was one thing that I had a really difficult time with, because if you don't have support of the other leaders around you, you know, everything else is going to come down crumbling. Um, that, that was literally my next, my next question and follow up to what you guys were going to say, which is, this is ironic. It was like learning to manage up is sometimes yeah. just as important as learning to manage your staff because you, you find out, I mean, I, I had to do this regularly. Sometimes you have to protect your staff from certain things, right. That are going to trickle down to them. Cause you, you don't want them to take the brunt to your point. You guys said you were making $20,000. You can't come down on those people all the time. And sometimes you just have to take the bullet for them and learning how to navigate upwards and manage those people to keep them in line with your own staff is sometimes just as important as keeping them motivated on their own. Right. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And I think that's, 
that's really, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Val, you've obviously been managing a lot longer than, than probably, you know, Adam and I, but I'd say that's probably the number one important thing to becoming successful, a successful manager is, is managing up and then, you know, trickling it down. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's definitely a skill that you, you have to learn over time because again, it's, it's when you first start, and that's why I wanted to ask you guys when you first became managers is, is you're almost a little timid to, you don't want to screw this up and you're trying to find your way. And then eventually you just kind of get to a point where you realize like the reason you're in the management role is because they value your voice and your opinion. And you have to use that voice in your opinion to make things happen and fight for your staff for when, when the time is right. And then also protect them when the time is right, but also be able to, to, to navigate and leverage the time between when you might need to come a little down on them and get them motivated again. Right. So like managing up is probably harder because I think you feel a little bit more, again, timid to do, to, to, to be afraid to make the wrong decision where managing your employees, you have a little bit more of a bravado and, and feel like you're like, Hey, I'm in charge, like type bullshit. But like you have more of a voice in your own head. So yeah, I think for folks that the, the hardest transition becoming a manager early on is figuring out how to go and, and sit down and talk to your superiors to make them feel comfortable with you and, and, and actually have a voice in that room. 100% agree. It's it's extremely difficult to do, and especially if you're, if like Lyle said, if you're coming into a staff that you've never been a part of, and it, it's difficult to do that. And I think going back to this other side of it, though, like I look when I manage, like I look at my employees almost like my kids, right? I'm proud when they make. We really celebrate the wins, and we really coach the negatives. So, um, and it's probably I don't have kids, Val, but I'm like assuming like anytime I had to yell at my employees, which I did a lot. I mean, I did, but. I felt bad afterwards. It's probably like yelling at your kids. You feel bad afterwards, but depends on what they did, Banco. Depends on what your kid did, and depends on what the employee did. <laughs> there's some instances where I'm like, uh, "You deserve to get yelled at." I don't feel too bad about this. You brought this on yourself. And there's times where, like, look, you you had to. Sometimes as a manager, you have to do things you don't want to do, and that's what makes people good managers. Is like realizing that's your role. And then, and in certain situations, you can't just be their best friend. You you also have to be their boss, and that's where navigating that fine line of getting people to respect you and run through the wall for you, versus take advantage of your your kindness in a way. And like that's also a hard thing to be, to, to to navigate when you're in your twenties. And in sports, what I, I always tell folks is like this industry is unique in the sense that those opportunities come quicker than I would say in like other worlds because so, there's such a high turnover rate. There's not as many people that stick around sports as long as they do in insurance and finance and other crap that's out there. Right. No, no offense, but um, it, it's just, it creates a, it creates a hole and an opening for you in your mid to, to late twenties to all of a sudden become a manager, which is not, it's not typical timeline for most industries. Yeah. I think that's crazy. Like that's the crazy part, right? Like you just, and I think Val, you did a really good job of in Albany, which I, I tried to replicate is, you were close with us. And like you said, we were like a family, but there was a certain line that you were able to kind of stay on where you were, you were still our boss, right? Like Lyle and myself and our other friend, Nikki, like we all lived together. So it was different. Like you would come over and still hang out, but you knew there was a line that was kind of drawn. I think that's something that I really took with me when I moved to Utica and Tucson was like trying to stay, you know, not going out and, you know, getting blackout drunk or whatever it is with everybody on staff and maybe just kind of t- having a couple of drinks and going home. And kind of setting that example where, so when you get back in the office, there's no mixed lines of, hey, you're supposed to be my friend and now you're yelling at me or you're, you're on my case about something. And that's the hardest thing to do in your 20s, right? Because you're still in your yeah. 20s and, you, and you're in this small group of 12, 15, 20 people and you, you, you have to find that balance. Otherwise, to your point, Adam, like you're going to get taken advantage of and that's not going to work for you being a manager. Well, like we preach and like, I can't say this enough. If you're going to work in this industry, it can't not it can't not be fun, right? You can't just be this robot person who just goes to games, goes home, and that's that. Specifically in your twenties, when you're not married or whatever, you don't have kids, because what's the point? Like you guys just said, you're making twenty thousand dollars, and as even as a manager at, at that level, you're not making much more than that. <laughs> so it still has to be fun. So you got to find that balance to 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 make sure you're learning everything you need to learn, getting close with your employees to the point where it's actually gonna benefit you to help them. And like, I think when we, the, the three of us would ever have a conversation that was on a personal level, 
I could be there for you on that sense. And then also give you guidance when you came to me with career advice, because I always told everybody's like, look, if another opportunity comes along, let's explore it. Let's discuss it. Let's make sure it's the right thing for you. Because to, to, to expect you never to leave the minor league account executive role and not want to grow is a, is a ridiculous presumption on my part or anyone's part to say my employees must stay here forever. Like I, again, to your point, some of the proudest moments are like, hey, I'm going to the NHL, Lyle. Hey, Adam, I'm going to be a vice president in Utica. To be able to say that versus how much you guys grew is more rewarding than anything I ever got from a, a bumper promotion because I can not say I was responsible for it, but I was indirectly involved in it. Yeah, and I think, you know, on the other flip side of that too is I've I've had some conversations with some employees before where they've gone and tried to chase the money, even in pro sports, like maybe, hey, I'm going from the G League team to uh to the Milwaukee Bucks. What do you think of that? And I, I I've actually sat down employees and said, I don't think you're ready to make that move. You know, I've seen your your output here and I think you need a little bit more help before because the last thing I want too is I don't want somebody going somewhere where they're going to have a bad experience and they're going to be out of sports completely either on their choice or by the team's choice. So um, I think there's some brutal conversations you do have to have with people about that as well. When they, when they are chasing money and you got to kind of talk them through, Hey, like you kind of actually have a good here compared to what it would be like there. And you know, I don't know something I always thought of. Chasing money never works out. It never, if the only reason you're going is money, it never works out ever because you still have to like your overall day to day. You have to like your boss. You have to like the people you work with, the organization, all those boxes still have to be checked. And anyone who says like, Oh, the money will always outweigh that. It never ever does because it always leads to being like, Oh, this sucks. And then you're looking for another job or whatever that stuff. It's just, it's, it sounds great on the surface. Like, Oh, I'm going to double my pay. Yes. That sounds amazing. And, and I'm not going to lie. It is. If you can do that, but you still have to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah, I, I think not only enjoy what you're doing, but enjoy who you work for as well. I mean, that's just equally as important too, right? Like you can have, you know, a, a job that you enjoy, but if the person you're working for makes that job miserable, then that's a whole other, I think, conversation as well. For sure. No, because like, you could work. We've talked about this all the time. The name on the front of the jersey who you're working for, but then all of a sudden your boss is a complete jackass. That doesn't make that worth it because you're still going to be absolutely in a terrible spot in a miserable place. So like chasing the name of like the team and the organization and the money are, should all be like way down the list of reasons you are actually accepting the job. Because at the end of the day, like the 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 overall viewpoint that you should have on this is like, am I growing? Am I becoming a better person? Do I like the people I work with? And do I like the person I work for? Do I want to run through a wall for that person? And a lot of times people can't say yes to that question because they're so blinded by the money that they get, they get caught up in that world of like, oh, I'm going to live in a nicer apartment or have a nicer car. But yeah, you're, you're going to hate all those things because when you get in that car and drive to your office and you have to see that person that you don't like, it all goes <laughs> out the window. And yeah, I mean, look back at us, right? Like, do you think that I wanted to go to Albany, New York and make $20,000 a year and I was fine with that salary? I wasn't fine with that salary, but I was fine with what I was doing. I was happy with what I did for a living. And I think that plays a big role in, like, how you perform as an employee as well, right? Like, you, the in value, and I know this, like, your attitude, it, it plays into how you're going to be every day in work. If you're coming in and you're slunched over and you're not happy – then you're probably not in the right place and you're not going to be successful. Only successful people are people who are happy at their jobs or at least can tolerate it at some point. 100% agree. So we've talked a lot about advice, which is great. And that's the point of this podcast, right? We're supposed to be helping people navigate. What uh, What's the craziest story one of you got for Albany that you remember? Which one wants to go? I, I was just trying to think who's listening to this podcast. So, <laughs> so I can tell you right now, there's a, there's 27, 28 countries now. And we actually, we, we needed one more to get the 48 continental United States, which is Montana, which we just picked up. So every every state is listening Banco. So there's a chance. Is there a lot of big mission listeners in Michigan? That's my there point. is, there is. All right. I got a funny story here. I, I don't even know if you guys remember this. So, like any small organization, we did a Christmas 
gift exchange. I think, what do we call it? Yankee swap or white Yankee elf? swap. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, you know, I think the, the you know, we're, again, I don't want to harp that we didn't make a lot of money. But we didn't make a lot of money. So it was like a $40 gift. Um, and we did it in the conference room, I believe. And our president at the time, his gift that he was bringing to get swapped around was a shoe shining kit. Um, and <laughs> I know where this is going. For anyone who's not aware, like, sh- and kids or students who are listening to this, like, shine your shoes. It's very important. A lot of people look at your shoes, so make sure you shine them. We almost had an employee. I told the story before. We almost had an employee not get hired because the shoes were so dirty when he came in, right? Yeah. Note herder. Yeah. Note herder. So... <laughs> And our boss, our president harped on us all the time to shine our shoes. And, you know, we we're young. We're 22, 23, 24 year old kids. Like we don't remember to do that. We're lucky that we're ironing our clothes and shaving every day. Um, and so we're at this gift exchange. And I think I'm like, I had like the best spot in the gift exchange. I was like, I was the last pick to pick from anything. And I think like Val, like you had a, bo- a box like Pro V1s, golf balls. And I'm like, oh, I want that. And Val, you just gave me this look. Like you have to take the shoe shining. <laughs> if you didn't take that, go to a salesperson. So like it was me, Lyle, or like three other people, and like and I was the last one to pick. So like I had to take it and pry it out of like somebody else's hands who worked in like uh, operations or whatever. But I had to take the shoe shining kit. And like to this day, I just like I basically got a chore for Christmas. But you know I had to do it, or I probably would have been like out on the street January one. That was the best career move you ever made, Adam, was taking the shoe shining. It saved your job. It raised your profile. And you had shiny shoes whenever you walked in the office so our boss wouldn't tell you to go back outside and shine them. Well, that was the best part. That was the worst part, though, right? Like, now he knows that I own a kit. So my shoes had to be shined every single day before coming to work. Do you still? Here's a question. Do you still own a shoe shining kit? I do. And I do look at my shoes if I am in that line of work anymore where I have to wear a lot of dress shoes. And unfortunately, in the golf world now, I basically just wear golf shoes to work. So I'm all set there. But if I ever, you know, when I get married, I'll make sure my shoes are shined the next time I probably have to wear a suit. Smart. We'll send a picture to, to, to Cicery that morning yeah. with a picture of your shoes and yeah. a shoe shining kit that you still have from eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. Lyle? Um. So this was probably, I think it was my, my last year in Albany. So my second year and I was starting to make relatively decent money for Albany standards. And I decided to treat myself. You could afford a drink at the barge when we went out. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Um, So I always remembered you had this devil, New Jersey devil's jacket that you wore to work every day. (laughs) Our office was um, always cold. The heater didn't work. Um, especially when the ice was down and you just didn't like it, how cool I kept it in the back office. Yeah. You, oh, Adam and I would fight over the thermostat. That was another, <laughs> that was another internal battle was the, uh, the McQuaid we would fight over the, well, you, you had it so cold. You made one of our employees fell asleep in the middle of the day. So there's that. <laughs> so, so I, I decided to treat myself to this, this really nice Reebok New Jersey devils jacket and I would wear it to the office during the winter and it served two purposes. It would allow for me to get away with a slightly wrinkled shirt, which would not fly in our office and would also keep me warm throughout the day. So uh, I was probably on like a two week stretch of wearing this jacket to work and our president, which is normal, which is normal for that place. Right. Very yeah. Normal. So our president stops me dead in the tracks in the middle of the hallway and flat out asked me, what team I work for. It's like miracle type shit with team USA. (laughs) Who do you play for? (laughs) I didn't know how to answer the question um, because throughout my entire tenure, there was, we were New Jersey devils employees that worked in Albany. Um, So I said the, I, I said the Albany devils and the response that I was getting was, why are you wearing another team's jacket in this office? (laughs) What did you say? You, I, I, I think I might have just like put my tail between my legs, took the jacket off, and just went back to a, to my hole. But and then you probably got yelled at for having a wrinkly shirt. <laughs> right. It was it was just a bad day. Um, 
But then he was wearing a watch that had a New Jersey Devils logo watch. And I believe so the shoes. It, I think he had the, the uh, Reeboks on. So does his license plate. His license plate holder yeah, was yeah, not. Just, so it was one of those moments where you just kind of like sit at your desk and you just like stare at the ceiling and you're just like, what the hell just happened? Um, and I was, I remember just being really upset because like this was like a nice jacket that I had just bought myself that I could never wear again. <laughs> and, you know, I think like it was so funny because when at the moment I got to Dallas, one of the first things that I received as an employee was the same Reebok jacket, but for the Dallas Stars. Brought back so very like, bad memory. It was super ironic. I didn't know if I could wear it to the office or not, but um, that's definitely on the on the crazier side of things that are, that just happen in the day. That you know, it's like one of those moments that was probably like a three minute thing in total that will haunt me for the, I still have that jacket. Every time I see it in my closet, I, I think of that moment. It was the last time I was able ever to really wear it. Who do you work for? Yeah, who do you do work you? for? I, it was just the most, <laughs> I, I don't understand where we're going with this question. I don't, it's Lyle, just, obviously a trick question. <laughs> Lyle was rattled for the rest of the year. Um, and the other thing too, like, go ahead, Bango. I don't know if it's safe to have that color carpet in an office. Like it's going to make people go crazy. Like so, that, red. Okay, so going back to that carpet. So we had the devil's red carpet throughout that office. Red, and, red, and red could be. And you basically had to brush behind you from walking. Like that carpet had to be, you had to be able to eat off that carpet. And so Mind you, we, we we were in Albany. Yeah, we're in Albany, New York in the wintertime, which means so it's the wintertime, the salt and the snow salt, and everything. So do you remember he used to bring in the, the black mats that yes. would basically be like a red carpet, essentially anywhere else that you'd have to walk on the black mats. So yeah. one day we're, I think Adam and I went to the office on a Saturday, you know, on our own time. And we're doing a, we're printing out flyers, something like we had like a big school push that we were we were doing. And people didn't care how much paper you wasted. Yeah, people did not care how much paper. No, you cut wasted. down those trees. Cut down those trees for selling those we would, flyers. We would go in on Saturdays to go print out, you know, what five hundred to a thousand flyers, so we weren't clogging up the one printer that we had in the office. So we go in, and middle of my print job it gets an error saying the toner needs to be replaced. So I've never replaced toner or in a printer before in my life. Um, so, but I said, how hard could this be? It shows you the directions on there. I knew where the toner was. How hard could this be? So I go to pull out the toner and this thing explodes black ink all over this red carpet. And my life flashed before my eyes. Yeah, I, you might as well have quit. You should have just quit yeah. on the spot. I, I thought my career was over and thankfully we had, we had a maintenance guy at the arena who we talk about, <laughs> <laughs> we talk about a lot of shit that we got. Poor Wayne got well, the brunt of a lot he, of, <laughs> he may or may not have an ankle bracelet too, by the way, let's just throw yeah, that out. Yeah. But the, the guy was, uh, God bless that man for the the beatings that he took for the cleanliness in the arena and our office. So Wayne was there on that Saturday and I, I tracked him down and said, Hey Wayne, like, I don't know what to do. Uh, I hope you have cleaning supplies. And I remember him looking at me, patting me on the shoulder, just like, it was like two guys that were just, they knew they were in for it. And he was like, don't worry, we'll get through this. And he did a good job cleaning it up. Very good job cleaning it up. And I remember going into work on Monday, just like, okay, like I'm going to take my lashings. Um, and he didn't notice. And then I think like a week later he noticed, because like the rug got a little distorted just from the cleaning supplies. Like it became like a little bit lighter or whatever. And That's not Devil's Red. It wasn't Devil's Red. The PMS color was off. Um, and he noticed, but like he didn't, he didn't like ask anyone about it, but like I remember him staring at it and like having this internal conversation with himself, like, how am I going to handle this? Um, and it, from where I sat, I could, I had a direct view of this area. Um, and I just knew I was in for it at that point, but it, thankfully it was never brought up. 
Um, but that was going back to what we were talking about earlier with ownership. Like, you know, I knew how important that carpet was and I knew, you know, I knew I had to do, I had to call in whatever cleaning service I had to call in to get that carpet cleaned up before Monday morning. So the one thing, and I, you can equate this to almost marriage was whenever I would see him cleaning something, yes, yes. The, the, <laughs> I wasn't cleaning something. I was like the guilt that would all of a sudden settle into my body and know that I was about to get a, a world of pain. Cause I, at that time wasn't cleaning too. Banco can probably, Banco you, you're engaged. So you, you'll understand this, but you probably get a little bit now living with your fiance. You, you, if that person's doing something and you just happen to not be doing that exact same thing at that given moment, you just know something's coming. It's coming. When he was on the floor of the bathroom, scrubbing the bathroom floor, which I walked by and I was like, oh no, we are dead. We are dead. It was, that was, that was, that was a clear sign. That's, that's whenever you saw him tidying up or cleaning or, or cleaning the drapes or the blinds, someone was about to get smushed. And it was never, ever a good thing if it was a cleanliness situation. There was so, never anything worse than walking in Monday morning and, <laughs> and him cleaning guys out on the front desk. If you walked in on Monday morning and, you know, we're young, we, we go out at nights and Saturday, Sunday, fun day, whatever it is, and you walk in Monday morning, you see cleaning stuff, you're in trouble. And I think another funny thing, and it's not, I want to be honest about our, our former president, like he was a great guy. He's still very loyal to me. I've gone through some unemployment. He's helped me out with different stuff. Um, but one thing, Val, well, I don't know if this, we did this when you were there, but Val, do you remember how we used to have to have sales meetings at 7 a.m. on Monday because we had to be on the phones by 8 a.m.? Yes. <laughs> yes, I remember. Yeah, but then we changed them to like 5 o'clock and we'd be there till 5.30. You know, we'd be there till 6.30, 7 o'clock on them. Yes. Night. yes. Somebody brought donuts once. I think it was you, Val, as we were told we're not allowed to eat those. <laughs> yes. I mean, we could do, we could do, a, like you said, we could write a book. Yeah. But all said and done, it made us all better because we had to navigate challenges, is I guess the best way to describe them. And the, the, the stuff that he did. Jobs. Yeah. He, no, he, and the stuff that he did instill in you in terms of ownership and accountability and you, you, that, that resonated with us for the rest of our lives. I mean, we always talk about and joke about some of the sayings and stuff. Yeah. But it made us grow up quicker in our twenties and you probably in an environment in like the minors where it is kind of sometimes so passe and can be, I mean, you guys went and saw other organizations. You saw probably firsthand, like, wow, this is a little bit more relaxed than I'm accustomed to probably helped you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, the first time I went to Utica, I think I looked around and there was no, no whiteboard up on where I had to sign out and how, when I'll be returning, <laughs> at <a certain> time. <laughs> which is cool. But like, at the same time, like I, I agree, like the ownership thing, some of the stuff he says, like you can't be half pregnant, like either you're all in or you're not. In. Like that stuff I've said to my employees before, and they kind of just tilt their head and look at me weird. But I'm like, you'll get it one day. You'll get it one day. You'll get it one day. Um, so before before we wrap this up, let's talk about current situations that you guys are both in. So I um, I just alluded to you're you're getting married, so Mazel Tov uh, has to be put on hold, unfortunately, because of this Corona. Stupid disease, yeah. Yeah, this stupid thing that we're going through. Um, but you are now in another sport that is very different from what you were traditionally working in, which was a typical grind of a schedule and a lot of games, to now a sport that you were always passionate about, which is golf and the 3M Open in Minnesota, which, again, is in that world of may or may not happen because of the corona. But how how has that been from just transitioning to the crazy schedule of 40 nights, games, back to back to now managing your time and and staff to 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 one event a year completely different i mean and you know lyle and you know me very well we we all have a passion for golf i want to work in golf probably since i was in albany um and i work for a company it's called prolink sports we we manage uh three pga tour events this wells fargo and valspar um currently right now like you said we are on the books for a fans fan event uh, here on in the third week of July, uh, that could change drastically, obviously, depending on the climate of the, what's going on in the world. Um, but it, it's completely different. I mean, this year I was able, like, I caught myself watching like a Saturday afternoon football game in the fall and like a college game. And I'm like, whoa, 
I've never been able to do this before in my career because, you know, last eight, nine years I spent on the team side and you work 40 games a week, uh, 40 games a year and 80 hour weeks and all that stuff. And it's different here. Um, But, you know, the cool thing is I'm able to bring that kind of minor league feeling over to this organization, over to this tournament where I, I will just randomly email my boss, just crazy ideas about like, Hey, how can we generate revenue here? Maybe we can generate revenue there. So I'm always kind of got my head on a swivel and looking around at different ideas. Um, but the time management, it's crazy. Like the quality of life, I'll tell you what, I love working in sports and maybe one day I can work in team sports again, but on the personal level, like with having the fiance and whatnot, it's, it's important to have time away from the game. And I get that here. And, um, you know, but at the same time, I, I do miss that itch of working on a Saturday in December, but, um, overall it's different and I enjoy it. And, um, like I said in the very beginning, like I, I'm one of those people I like to kind of go in and put my stamp on things as a startup. I mean, Utica was a startup. Tucson was a second year tournament. And when I got here last year, that was the first year we were a PGA tour event in the, in the past, we were a champion, we were a champ uh, tour event. So last year was the first year we actually charged for tickets and did all that good stuff. So being on the ground floor stuff like that's really exciting to me. So that's why I kind of made this up op- this opportunity. Well, hopefully Corona settles down and you can see the event through, but the good news is at some point the event will take place, whether this year or next year, but the quality of life thing is, is definitely something we all struggle with. Right. So learning how to balance that. And then you've almost been now forced into having a better quality of life, which is fantastic. If you get to stay in the industry you love and with a sport that you're extremely passionate about, uh, that's what it's all about. Like that's what you've worked your butt off and grinded all those scout nights for with your extracurricular activities during those scout nights before uh, landing out at the 3M Open. But while you're working in sports in a, in a different capacity, we've always discussed like, hey, there's still ways to work in sports, but not necessarily for a team. So after going from the stars at the NHL and AHL level, you, you stopped over at the NFL and realized, look, I don't want to work in Detroit. I don't want to live in Detroit. <laughs> so you wanted to get out of there and your your heart, which like it's kind of what we talked about earlier, right? You 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 didn't chase anything, but it was an opportunity at the NFL that you were like, I can't pass this up. But then you got there and you're like, I'm not happy in Detroit. So it doesn't matter that I work for the Detroit Lions. Um, yeah. And, and you wanted to go home, which to you now was Texas. And you got back, you got into the tech world, but you've now pivoted over to Mavich Branding, which you you did some deals uh, this year with the XFL, some the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you're working some, with some other folks because you can speak their language. How has that transition gone for you? in terms of now working on the periphery of the, of, of the industry, but, but still in it. Yeah. I think it took a long winding road to, to get there, but I think finally on the straight and narrow, um, you know, I, like you mentioned, like I'd worked in the NFL and it was always, you know, that was always something that I wanted to do, right? Like I wanted to work on Sundays and be in those bright lights and, and see all that. And, you know, again, kind of what you were just saying too, it's, you know, at the end of the day, like all that, that's cool and stuff. And, you know, I'd done a lot of cool things, but um, I think my overall happiness just wasn't there. And I just wasn't, I just lost that, that fire in my belly um, to throw it back to our old friend. But um, so, yeah, I got into tech just to kind of get back here um, and then, you know, realize that like, again, like I'm not passionate about this. I'm sitting on these demo calls selling a software that I have no idea what the hell this thing does. The person I know that line has no idea but what it does, but they're still buying. Um, so it just wasn't like challenging for me. Um, and then through a mutual friend met um, the owner here at Mavich Branding. And, you know, they were trying to get into sports um, because they, they saw an avenue where a lot of teams were really underutilized when it came to their promote, like their promotional product vendors and their merchandise vendors where, you know, they had these, a lot of teams were just using the same vendors for 10, 20 years, placing order, received really no customer service. If something went wrong, sorry, you know, it was really no, there was really no face to the, to the company. So we wanted to kind of go in and, and start knocking down some doors here in DFW. I mean, there's no better place to do it. Um, so we landed the, the Dallas stars and that was kind of our first, you know, foray into the, to this industry where we were providing promotional products, you know, all those rally towels and light up banners and light up wristbands and t-shirts, all that stuff that you see at the games, we're the one providing it. And 
Um, our boss wanted someone who knew knew the industry to, to kind of come in and start hitting up the other team. So, you know, we were able to land the XFL. Um, we're doing a lot in esports right now, uh, which is just absolutely killing it. If there's an industry to get into in sports, esports, um, clearly pandemic proof. Um, and working with a couple golf tournaments. So it's fun being on the other side of things, still being in tune with the industry, still talking to a lot of my industry friends, still providing a service for them, um, while still being able to go home at five o'clock every night, have my weekends, um, but also understand kind of what their needs are and what their expectations are as well. Um, and, you know, finding some cool items that are going to help, you know, them with sponsorship activations. And, you know, if, one of the things I love doing, especially since I talk that language, is if I have somebody that's on a sponsorship team that has, let's call it FedEx as a client, they say, hey, we want to come up with a really cool idea for a giveaway night that, that FedEx is sponsoring. Um, I get to work hand in hand with them and, and helping them with their theme nights and their giveaways. So um, it's kind of not being too far away from from all the action, which I love and um, still, you know, being in the mix. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun industry. Um, not so much fun right now with no sports going on, but, um, thankfully, you know, I'm with a company that was able to pivot and adjust and, you know, we're providing some other services that are getting through us through it, through all these times right now. Do you want to go back to the industry on the team side? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I, I would, it would have to be the correct opportunity. Um, knowing what I know now and knowing what I've experienced in the past, um, I would absolutely go back for the, for the right opportunity. I think in the past I wasn't as picky and would just kind of jump at the first opportunity that came my way and um, didn't really put too much thought into it. Cause I just kind of trusted the process. If that makes sense, like you just kind of build your way up in certain areas, but um, I think, sorry, my, my dog's got a bark in her throat. Um, they, they, um, uh, yes, the, the answer to that question is yes. I think now what's, uh, what's funny. And I talked to my fiance about this the other day is that, you know, we, we are in a position where we might not have a tournament or there might not be spectators. And I told her that, and I'm like, I'm super bummed about it. And she goes, Oh, so you'll just be working like a normal job, like the rest of the world. Like you don't have anything to look forward to. Like she goes, do you think I have anything to look forward to? I work in accounting. Like every day is the same thing. And I go, Oh, that's awful. Like, I'm glad I do what I do. I'm glad I work in sports. So true. So true. Yeah, I can't, I, think, I, I can't imagine just uh, having the standard nine. To, I, I mean, I've never had it, but to your, well, not to pile on you, but you're not, you found a way to stay connected to our industry, which obviously is, is different than some people who leave the industry early and then fully regret it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I think it's, it's always that hard decision that we come to in life of like, if I leave the industry, what am I going to do? And am I going to be happy? Yeah. I think like, so the way I kind of like justified it to myself was like, I had done a a lot of cool things in the industry, right? Like I had flown on team planes. I have been to playoff games. I've stood on the sidelines for Sunday night football. I've, you know, done some really cool things that a lot of people had never done, will never do. And I was content with that and, you know, figured, you know, I had this good run. I had, I had a lot of fun in my twenties and now, you know, I want to kind of just transition to a new part of life. And I think I miss, I think I'm bored a lot. If that makes sense. Like you, you grow up in this industry where you're working these crazy hours, you're working weekends, you're working holidays. And now all that stuff comes to us to a stop. And you're just, it it sounds great, but now I have so much time on my hands that I feel almost unproductive. Um, And the other thing too, that um, you don't realize until you're out, but a lot of the people that you work with in sports are all like-minded individuals. Um, You know, you're obviously all working for an organization. You understand what sports are. Um, You're at at some level a sports fan, right? And you can have- There's There's a lot of commonality. Yeah, there's a lot of commonality. And then, you know, you, you move outside the industry and you're working with, you know, that person's grandmother or, you know, some, some no offense to grandmothers, no fun, no offense to grandmothers at all. Um, but you're, you're, 
you're working with people that may have never have not been to a sporting event in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, so you, you don't have that commonality and that's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter with age. Like I sat next to a guy at one of my tech jobs um, who was younger than me and had never been to a sporting event in his life. And he lives in Dallas, Fort Worth, where we have four professional sports teams here and every major college. So um, to give you an idea of what that person's personality was like. So, um, you know, I, I miss that, you know, I miss being able to go in and have sports debates in the morning before, you know, hitting the phones or, you know, just getting on with my day. So that's definitely one thing that I miss. And like I said before, like to this day, my closest friends are folks that I was in the trenches with, um, whether it be again in Albany with you guys or, or my buddies here in Dallas. And I don't see that ever happening in another uh, gig, if that yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to replicate from a from yeah. a culture and from a, just a personality standpoint. Our industry is very unique in that sense. Um, but guys, this has been really fun, a blast down memory lane. Uh, I'm, I'm sure some people who, who criticized me when I had my memory lane, I'm sure Rob will be all over me with 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 Specia. Um, but this was, ex- I think, this will be very helpful for folks because I think what you guys had to share and offer about your perspective on how you grew early in your career. And then also Lyle being someone who's left the business and now might want to go back. But in the short term, uh, how can, first of all, if Lyle, you can talk about what there's, there's people in the industry who listen to this. So if you're looking for promo items, how can they reach you? Yeah, they can, um, they can shoot me an email. It's just L H O F F M A N at Mavich M A V I C H branding.com or just find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all day. So just add me on there and um, happy to chat with you there. Adam, how can folks find you and the information about the 3M Open? Well, you can visit 3mopen.com. Um, actually, we just rebuilt our website this year. I was kind of running that that project, so I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, humble brag. Humble brag. Email address is on there, but you can find me on LinkedIn. And I just want to say really quick, you know, like, this is a great, I'm not just, you know, pumping bowels tires this is a great outlet for young people to listen about how to get a job in sports i think you know pump away buddy pump away you know <laughs> al and rob do a great job of that and you can find me on linkedin adam banco and if you want to link up and you want to talk you want to have a conversation about something about you know interview process or whatever because i mean all of us have been through the interview process all of us have been on the other side of it where we're doing the interviewing and i think we all have little tidbits that are different than everybody else but um I mean, it's great what you guys do, and I appreciate you guys you having us on. My yeah, pleasure. So it's all mine. If I can get a couple laughs during the day by talking to some old friends, that's what this is all about. And as, as you guys can hear, it's been 10 years, and we haven't lived near each other now for probably seven, seven or eight. Yeah, seven years. And you, and I think everyone could probably get a sense from this that to Lyle's point about being in the trenches with folks, there's... There's instances like that you can't ever replicate or get back. So we'll have this bond and connection through our old boss or our Albany friends, as we'll call them, some of the fans that throughout forever. And you can't <laughs> change those moments. And there's only one industry, I think, that can provide those. So, guys, again, thank you for your time. This, is, this, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, stay safe out there in Minnesota and Texas. Lyle, you probably have a little bit more <laughs> to deal with than we do. Yeah. But, um, again, guys, thank you so much. Last advice, stay awake at work. Stay awake at work. We'll save that story for another time. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.